0: You are listening to Girovagando, the cycling podcast
1: at the 2023 Giro d'Italia. Today we are in Bergamo. Right, Daniel, I think this is it. This is the breakaway group coming up here to the narrow passageway up to Bergamo Alto. You see the first riders now. I mean, extremely intense situation here, a lot of fans cheering on the riders on the steeper ramps on the way up here to Bergamo Alto. Che spettacolo Daniel! Oh, Brian,
2: Buonasera. That was you this afternoon in Bergamo in the Città Alta. You were mixing with the locals, the natives, very much enjoying yourself. um, It sounded like, weren't you?
1: Daniel, I had an ace of a time. I haven't been that close to a bike race maybe since Giro d'Emilia last year, you know, when they finished on the San Luca climb in Bologna. And this felt very similar. i been at
2: the Giro d'Italia for the last two and a half
1: weeks. I know, but so have you. Have you seen any interesting bike racing? Well, not interesting,
2: but I've seen plenty of bike racing. Yeah,
1: but the, today was, you know, with the circuit up the, the La Bocola uh, climb, the shooting. <laughs> We're actually right next to Roglic's fan club camper I'm
2: not sure it's his fan club camper if his fan club consists of his wife then it is his fan club because I think that's where his wife
1: I mean if his wife is not a fan of his work well
2: there you go and Brian I said you were in the Chita Alta uh, earlier what a well, lovely place that is by it the is way. very beautiful and if anyone ever <laughs> goes up there uh, I've got a restaurant recommendation confirmed actually by Manolo a good friend who works at Col- Colnago now and he's oh, a native you said he's to. a yeah, native yeah. of Bergamo and yeah. I said to Manolo, earlier I always eat in Damimo in the città, and he said, "ottimo place Someone else Great actually place.
1: recommended it, but I also have to say, and this is, I'm not trying to, you know, gain some extra sort of sympathy here. I took the funi, um, the funivia up there, yeah, which is basically like a a, a, tin, a sardine can gondola that yeah. pulls you all the way up. Scary experience, but I did it so I could go and record for us.
2: Yes, you did. What's that got to do with restaurant recommendations in? The because Cittata? when I am standing
1: there. One of our uh, Danish listeners recommended the exact same restaurant.
2: Ah, Okay, we got there in the end. Brian, we are now in the American bar. True story, actually called the American bar. It's right outside the press room, somewhere down in the Chitabassa, the low part of Bergamo. Why is this appropriate, Brian? Well, because we've seen a stage victory by an American. And that American was Brandon McNulty. We've seen an exciting stage as well, but exciting in the same way that yesterday was exciting. We saw a a pulsating race at the front end of proceedings. We didn't see too much at the back end of proceedings. We wanted both today, really, didn't we? Yeah, Uh, we we were hoping for it We're treated to a great spectacle in the break, great spectacle on the sides of the roads. We're going to talk about that as well. Not so much in the GC group, and that is Pretty much the story of the Giro, as far as the general classification is concerned so far. Brian, and without too much further ado, shall we proceed to the tale of the Tappa?
0: It's time for the
1: tale of the Tappa. Thank you, Daniel. So, the stage 15, Daniel, from Sereno to Bergamo, all Lombardy today, 195 kilometers. At a, a very difficult stage with four categorized climbs and it was more or less up and down all day. I think the total amount of climbing was around 4,000 meters. The first big climb was the uh, Category 1, Vallico di Very difficult climb that you remember from your youth when you lived around here, I suppose. Yeah. Basically attacks from the start, first eight, then seven riders attacks and counter attacks. But eventually the big group of the day went up the road, 17 riders strong. <laughs> Va okay. bene, perfetto, grazie. Okay. but we're avoiding all kinds of accidents here can I also just add that it's hay fever season anyways those seven 17 uh, riders uh, some of them we've seen before in, in breakaways in the Giro but there were some very strong candidates for the stage win potentially also maybe a challenger for the, for the general classification so some of the big names there was Ben Healy, um, Albanese, Bonifacio, Marco Frigo Rubio and Rojas from Movistar, Bauke Mollema and Brandon McNulty. Ben Healy took the first points on the climb up to Valle di Valkava. Rubio right next to him. The best rider in the front group was Aina Rubio. So it's kind of a question of how much line they would give him from the, from the main group. Attackers, a little bit like yesterday, there were a lot of riders. Too many probably for them to keep the cooperation going. Ben Healy was the first really to put in a, a big attack. He actually countered uh, Marco Frigo, who eventually got dropped, and Brandon McNulty came up to him uh, as well. McNulty actually caught him on the descent of the Roncola before the last climb up to Bergamo Alta. It was kind of interesting because uh, Marco Frigo was really trailing behind, and it looked for a long time if he would wouldn't come back. They didn't even give him that much camera time, but eventually, eventually he was there. And then, and, and coming into um, the last sort of flat kilometres here in. In uh, Bergamo, he actually put in what looked like a devastating attack for the stage, basically opening up an early sprint. McNulty had tried his luck seven, kilo- 70, seven kilometers to go with a, with a solo attack, but eventually it was it was just down to those three guys. Marco Frigo, yeah. he's from
2: Bassano del Grappa, yeah. home of one of the most famous bridges in Italy, the Ponte degli Alpini, and he bridged beautifully, didn't he, Brian?
1: Yeah, he did. That's yeah. Had I only uh, had your <laughs> had academic you spent all laurels, afternoon conjury,
2: yeah. coming up with that,
1: yeah. Exactly. Thank you for that, Daniel. In the sprint, McNulty actually was the fastest, and it was kind of like a little bit of a surprise because a lot of people, at least where I was sitting, were thinking that this could be mcNulty's second win. Well, it wasn't. Huge win for UAE, and it was kind of the first time McNulty had really been given the liberty to chase the stage, and he certainly came home with a big win because of it. So in the main group, because there was a gap of some seven minutes, I think. Yeah, seven, seven seven and a half minutes almost. There wasn't really any action until the last time up to La Bocola. And as it went, you know, Rockley started to move, Almeida started to move, but all the GC riders stayed quite close. So some, like, nine riders sort that bro- broke loose. Eventually, Dunbar, Van Vilde, Rocklis, Ger- Thomas, Almeida, Caruso, Legneson, again, very impressive. But they only sort of got a little bit of a gap, and the rest of the GC contenders who so say, like, the the bulk of the top 20 riders they all came in There's just a small tiny gap so it wasn't it wasn't to be for the GC riders and yeah Bruno Mirai thanks to the work that he did um, that his team did during the day keeps the keeps the jersey with a comfortable margin so I wouldn't say a big bag of nothing but a lot less than we had hoped for also as you mentioned in your introduction. Brian
2: let's look at the general classification well in fact if you're looking for a rider who made any ground on general classification, you have to go way down to Ainer Rubio, who, by virtue of being that break, moved up four places. He's now 14th on um, the GC. There were others that lost just a couple of seconds. Um, Tuba Pino, I think he was in the group that lost. Did they lose one second in the end or two seconds? Two seconds. Pino, Jack Haig was in there as well. Kemner, Sepkus, Hugh Carthy. They came in just uh, two seconds behind the Roglic and Thomas group. But not exactly what we were expecting on the general classification. We hope that the, we would see a bit of a sort-out today. Certainly Bergamout turned out um, as we thought that it would on a Sunday, the first sunny day of this year. The first sunny day of this year, really, since the opening time
1: trial. today. We, today, at least from the ambience and from... It know, felt like the Giro. Yeah, exactly. It felt like the Giro. And Bergamo has such a big heart for cycling. It's it's a really important town for, you know, not just in Lombardia, but just in general, all the champions that have come from here. So at least the city did what they were expected to. But, you know, the GC riders, uh, in where way, you can see they did For didn't.
2: various reasons that we'll find out about in a minute. Well, Brian, I propose that we hear first from Marco Frigo, who is in only his first year as a professional and... Once upon a time, it was very rare for a to even a pro to even ride a Grand Tour. He's now, well, he's come relatively close twice now. He was close on the stage to Rivoli, finished fifth there. He was in the break and very strong. And today was third. We're going to hear from him. Then we're going to hear from his director sportif, Sam Bewley, who is also in his first Grand Tour, but as a director sportif course had a long and distinguished career particularly with your former team Orica Edge Brian and has uh, he's entertained a lot of people on this Giro d'Italia with the GoPro clips from inside the Israel Premier Tech team
1: car the, I mean, other the last day. time the breakaway went When he talked to Michael Frigo, that was the... No,
2: that wasn't Michael Frigo, that was um, Beric. Oh, that was Beric, that's right. Yes, Sebastian Beric, he sort of... Can you uh, do a
1: big recap of what he told him?
2: Well, he told him that he shouldn't worry about not coming through and doing his turn in the break and that it was only seven kilometers until the finish. He was a great bloke, basically, can't really do a New Zealand accent, but he could afford to be a an asshole for seven kilometers for seven kilometers what a quote so he's um yeah he's been entertaining everyone with those videos from inside the team cars And we're going to hear it from marco frigo first and sam Bewley. i should also add that sam Bewley, well he's been in the team car when Derek g has finished second three times now so we'll hear from those two and then we're going to hear from geraint thomas about exactly what was going on in that gc group and why we didn't see a little bit more action and then later on in the episode we're going to get the Jumbo-Visma perspective. Marco, more pride or disappointment uh, coming so close? Uh, for sure, more pride. In, uh, in the end, uh, I did uh, the best to, to win uh, the stage. and uh, I was close, but uh, I'm happy. And how much confidence are you getting um, from the last few days? I mean, you've been very close to some of the best breakaway riders in the world.
3: Yeah, yeah of course. I yeah, had confidence already in the last week um, because of the bad, good feeling I had. Today was my day to, to try to win. I was close and uh, that's it, I was cycling.
2: Sam, you're pretty new in this, well, second career as a direct sportif and we've all been enjoying, what, vicariously experiencing some of the anxiety um, on those GoPro videos. But today, again, same thing, um, but you're still standing.
3: Yeah, man, it's been a it's been a hell of a journey for us, actually. And, you know, it's like when we first, when we got second that first day with, with Derek, it was obviously like, massive elation huge ride on the podium for Derek and then it's just sort of been that theme for for about six days now and it's kind of a double-edged sword like we're obviously so happy with how the team's riding and it's a real pleasure to be at this year with a bunch of young guys and and a couple of more experienced dudes that just want to get out there and race their bikes and you know that's what what it's all about and that's what, what we're trying to build in this team and again so agonizing close again today but man it's just great to see the fight from these guys and well he tried with the counter there presumably well it was the obvious move and presumably that was the message coming from the car yeah yeah exactly I mean it was an obvious move and it was really the only move in the situation like that when you're coming back with you know with more speed than the two guys in front on a downhill sprint you've just got to take that speed and, and, and go no matter how far away it is from the finish line and yeah, it was the right move but unfortunately yeah those guys just managed to you know have a, have a little bit more speed in the end and hats off to McNulty and to Healy as well they were super strong today and um, yeah we were close so we'll keep trying. And well, we enjoyed
2: your seven kilometers of being an asshole the other day. What was the message today? Was there any gems you came out with today?
3: Uh, Oscar was on the radio today and I was just taking the piss out of his English. So that's about it.
2: Garan, <laughs> talk us through the last sort of 30, 40k. That was where we thought that we might see it kick off, but a bit of a stalemate
4: in the end. Yeah, it's a funny one, really. We were kind of expecting something, but you know, FDJ controlled the brake well and everyone just seemed content to sit in the wheels and. It's never easy but you know it was just a steady pace all day and yeah i was expecting something on the last climb but it didn't materialize and for the last week being so hard maybe everyone's like biding their time for that i don't know but uh yeah and then the last little kicker is not all you can do when everyone's fresh or me anyway
2: um, and your did go to the front on the ronkel and it looked as though they were going to f- force it for a while but that ended pretty quickly what was going on there do you think
4: I think it was just a bit of stress fighting for position really you know Bora and UAE similar thing a bit of a drag race we tried to just sit back a bit and bide our time because yeah there was no point in doing that really and then uh, yeah as I say the main part of the day was that race into the right-hander with 5k to go.
2: Garen at this point so close to the lead two weeks into the Giro I mean deep down before this race did you think you might be in such a good position or is this a big
4: surprise even to you? To be honest, I came into the race thinking, try and limit my losses the first two weeks and hopefully I'll have good, good legs at the end. And yeah, to be in front of all the main rivals is uh, certainly a nice bonus. This race is going to explode at one point. Hopefully I'm at the right end of that. Yeah, it's a bit of a waiting game at the minute, but I think next week with, is it three, four mountaintops with the TT? It's a hell of a lot can happen. Team dynamics as well, how people are feeling and like yesterday for instance didn't want to burn all the guys to keep the jersey when they're rotating so quick in front and so it's kind of at the end of the day it's not just me it's You need to use the team to make set me up so it's kind of getting us all into that last week as best as possible and then so yeah I guess I am content to wait for now and uh, hopefully it's uh we can do something I hope you see Roglic because he's not moving either you know usually he can be more aggressive but he's not moving I don't know yeah surprised by it to be honest like Maybe he's learned from, you know, last time he did the Giro, he kind of went at it quite early and then died off. Or maybe he's just suffering a bit with the crashes. I guess it's one for him, really, isn't it? But
2: any more mind games from him this week? Um, any self-declared positive COVID tests, anything like that?
4: <laughs> no, it's just uh, everyone's just sort of eyeing each other up and sort of talking a bit of rubbish, but we'll see.
5: The Cycling Podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia
1: is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport.
0: Fueled by Science.
5: Pavel Sivakov rides for INEOS Grenadiers who are supplied by our sponsors Science in Sport. So Science in Sport are keeping the INEOS riders on the road just as they are keeping the Cycling Podcast on the airwaves. Now I asked Pavel what he had learned about nutrition since he turned pro, and what have been the biggest changes in nutrition strategy, but also the products.
6: Oh, I've learned a lot, to be honest. Like uh, before I joined the team, I think I didn't have the knowledge I have today. And there has been quite a quite a few changes also in the nutrition approach, and I think it's actually linked to the the change in in the racing. To to be honest, like uh, we've seen in the past few years, the racing has become much more like let's say aggressive like let's say when i joined the team there was a lot of focus on on the low car, like quite a lot of low carb rides, and we we yeah we, we restricted the carb much more and now in the past like couple of years is actually completely opposite approach is like we train to absorb and to eat as much carbs as we can
5: so, a few years ago, the low-carb diet was the thing, and carbs were almost the enemy. Now, carbs are king, and if you want to load up for your ride, the beta fuel gels have 40 grams of dual carbohydrates, proven to deliver maximal energy with minimal stomach discomfort. Go to scienceinsport.com for the full range.
2: Well, Brian, before the short commercial interlude there, we heard from Garrett Thomas, and very interesting, he was as well on today's stage but
1: it's quite rare that that you hear riders also wondering the tactical dispositions of their closest competitors indeed
2: indeed um we're going to get onto that in a minute but just before we do i'm flicking through today's eco di bergamo now we said that bergamo is really a cycling heartland in italy in the 90s we talked about this yesterday there was a time where i think there was this Statistic that I remember where Bergamo had more bike shops per square kilometre than anywhere else in the world. Um, it's a bit of a I'm not gonna say a faded heartland, but there certainly aren't as many pros living here as there used to be. We established that yesterday. We talked about the fact that Lorenzo Rota does live here. Today, for example, I went up to Salvino, and you know on the Selvino, the Selvino is sort of the um, the outdoors of Lombardy looks, and it has looks, these, it
1: looks the part too
2: yeah and it has this fantastic sequence of hairpins and each hairpin is is dedicated to a cyclist who hails from Bergamo and, and just driving up there today that really put in perspective what a rich heritage this region has then I went through was after the Miragolo San Salvatore I went through Cedrina, which of course is where Felice, Felice Gimondi Grew up Um, and this is the first time jiro has been back to Bergamo I believe since his death in 2019 or that we've had a stage here. Well this newspaper today the local newspaper is just a sort of panoply of articles information about precisely that this city's extremely rich heritage in cycling. Um, Also some interesting nuggets in here like the cost of Hosting a stage of the Giro d'Italia, a Sunday stage, which is more expensive than other stages. Bergamo paid 300,000 euros to host this stage today. So, you know, we talked the other day, didn't we, about what well, is the Giro dead? We had our kilometers zero, La Corsa Rota, and we mentioned the fact that the Giro actually financially is doing pretty well. And we talked about things like the Grande Partenza or the foreign Grande Partenze, and that's a big money spinner. But days like today are big money spinners as well.
1: Yeah, I think also when often you kind of wonder what the tourist perspective would be when you see some of the places we go to, not that they don't have their own local charm, but not necessarily something that would make you change your holiday plans. But today we really saw Bergamo and all its its beauty, I think. I, I love a, a city circuit the way they did today, like, or a city climbing stage. aren't that many places where you can do that. You could maybe do it in Como close to here as well. So I think that they, they made the most of it. It's definitely... Well, for me, because I was so close to the race for once, it was it was one it was definitely one to remember.
2: It was a route that we believed, we hoped, was conducive to some movement on general classification. Also, becoming before a rest day, we thought that, you know, even the riders themselves, even Thomas and Roglic themselves, have been talking about how everyone's playing this waiting game. Yeah. So everything was set up for a bit of a sort out today, but was the course really conducive to it? We heard Garant Thomas say that. Even he was slightly mystified as to why this race has not sparked into life already. Mystified on the one hand, but also on the other hand explaining that the two mountain stages we've had so far, Gran Sasso d'Italia and Col Montana, have been very much influenced by the
1: weather and the wind. I think there's more to that as well. So for instance on ride today uh, in the discussion they had after the stage, they were very heated discussions Garcelli, Pitaki, um, the, and the hosts, they were saying, well, no, why doesn't anyone want the pink jersey? Why, why is it not more was it a more desired object in this race? Well, the, the one of the reasons for that is that it's so close. And Garcelli said something I thought was quite interesting. They said, well, no one wants to tr- to crack trying when you know what's coming up. And the last week is so ridiculously hard. the the amount of effort and risk you bring upon yourself and your team to take the jersey now with a small gap doesn't necessarily repay itself in how much you have left in the tank for the last week. If if there's any merit to that, if that is truth uh, being spoken, then I think uh, we'll hopefully get it at some point because I'm sure someone wants to have the pink jersey in Rome. It's just a question of when does the lid sort of come off the bottle? When does the cork pop?
2: Ah, Mattia Galli, uh, agent of Primoz Roglic, uh, he doesn't like giving interviews, Mattia. No, 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 Buonasera, no, no, almeno la <laughs> Buonasera. Buonasera, si. Buonasera. Where's my
1: Rivella?
3: In Switzerland. <laughs> no, it's, it's in Foggia. As well, in Foglia.
1: He has two stashes of Rivella.
3: Which, which color?
1: Blue. Blue.
2: How, how's yeah. Primoz? How's Primoz? Doing well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's the <laughs> most reluctant intervie- interview person uh, I've
2: ever met. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> wow. He says he's
1: already said too much. Wow. Well, I mean, in Roglic terms, <laughs> that probably compares to some of his interviews, but yeah. it wasn't much.
2: Uh, all that was missing was the, uh, you know what I mean? Uh,
1: yeah. Probably,
2: I can't remember where we were.
1: I think you stopped paying attention when I, when yeah. I was referring to the intricacies of uh, the coming Giro stages, the, the power balance in the race, the arm wrestle, and it, the fact that it seems like no one wants the pink jersey. It's too
2: close. It is the, the problem with this Giro d'Italia, paradoxically, and you can look at this in two ways, you can see it as a... And I think that when I think back to the interviews that people like Mauro Veni, the Giro director, have given over the past few years, they've really emphasized this cl- how close the race has been as a virtue. But it's not always a virtue, is it? It's a virtue if... You know, you're, you're seeing a sort of a ding-dong battle. It's going back and forth. Someone's gaining a few seconds one day. The other person or the other riders are gaining those seconds back another day. But this race is just stuck in a, a stasis, isn't it? Yeah, And yeah, for the it, moment it certainly is. And there are no two ways around it. It hasn't been that entertaining so far. And, you know, the, the second time trial in particular, they would have, certainly Maraven, You would have looked at that as... Well, probably the, the first big sort out. Maybe they they hoped that would be the case with Grand Sasso as well. They thought that that might create big time gaps. But when we spoke to coaches in the teams, physiologists in the teams, and direct support teams, they all knew because they have this ability to model now. They they were under no illusions about that second time trial creating big time gaps they knew that it was going to be incredibly close and this was quite predictable that we would get to this point in the race with very little between the top riders
1: yeah i still believe that if evan paul had been up to his best and not had covid he would he would have gone yeah. way faster and he would have had to potentially so that's a, that's one thing
2: and that would have made today's stage quite different yes
1: and secondly had togering had still been in the race at some point maybe not today maybe not today but but It could have been, depending on how Remco was feeling or whatever, this is all hypothetical subjunctive conditionals, it's called in semantic philosophy, but it actually meant uh, you know, you you can't take those pieces out, this guy's gone, that guy's gone, it's been raining, it's not that that doesn't really have, it's not Mauro fault that people get COVID, crash and fall out on the weather, it's quite adverse, so I think there's also some of it is the layout of the race and some of it is contingencies Brian,
2: we have We'll talk about this stasis in the general classification. We've heard from Garant Thomas. Let's get the Jumbo-Visma perspective now. Uh, slightly uh, slightly more detailed than what Mattia Galli Primoz Roglic, just gave us. Let's hear from Mark Rafe, their direct sportif, uh, who's becoming a familiar voice on the podcast. We're hearing from him a lot. Mark, what was happening on the Roncola there when Jumbo-Visma went to the front? It looked as though the, you you wanted to force the pace and then you backed
6: off. Yeah, I think that at that moment um, FDC uh, went off with, uh, with, with their guys uh, and it was searching for the moment who, was, uh, who would take initiative to set the pace on the, on the climb. Uh, they were searching for each other. I think that one guy went to the front to the other side to search for Primos again and then it was waiting for the moment that, uh, that somebody was doing it and, um, and that didn't happen. Was it ever your plan to attack Thomas today and attack Ineos? Uh, we, uh, we also saw that, uh, that the parcours had quite some, uh, some valley roads uh, in between. and uh, You can attack them, but yeah, if they find each other still in the back, it's really difficult to really make a, a big difference. So also the stage was not really suited. Uh, FDG took control over the day, they did it on a, on a very good way. It was not anymore for the, for the stage win. So in the end it, uh, it just came down to the to the final climb there they raced a bit to each other but it was also too short to really make a bit difference
2: garen thomas said he thinks maybe primoz has learned lessons from the past that he's riding more conservatively waiting more because
6: of some of his experiences in the past is that accurate i think that's also what you what you have seen at uh, the last two weeks up, up front the parkour was really suited for yeah for already the fights between the gc riders but in the end uh, with the headwind on the Grand Sasso, with the headwind uh, two days ago on, uh, on on the Kans Montana, yeah, it was difficult to to make a really big difference. Also, the stage was shortened there, so the the 5,000 L to meter stage, what was yeah planned to be really hard, was only two climbs and a, and a stage of uh, of two hours. Yeah, it's different to uh, to really make a big difference yet between the between the guys, and it's just waiting for the for the last week. Yeah, we didn't have to spend. A lot of energy yet. We took one time the initiative on uh, on stage eight uh, to uh, Vossenbrone. I think that also Primo showed there that he was strong. Um, yeah, and now it's just uh, just waiting for the moment. And yes, we are content with how it is at the moment. The GC guys are still short. We are two seconds away from uh, from Thomas. And everything is uh, is okay for the moment.
2: So, Brian, there we heard that Jumbo visma well, they had a nibble. They had a look purely because they sensed, they felt that Group Amar, FDJ, They'd done their work. They they effectively
1: well, they stopped pulling. They stopped pulling when they knew that Rubio was not going to be a threat to Amarai's pink jersey. So that that makes sense. I think and also looking at Amarai's possibilities going into the, the last week, Amiga at best. He rode a, a great oh, race. very heroic fantastic, and yeah, absolutely. But just to say that they couldn't be blamed for having used up their energy or the, or deciding not to take control of the race when the GC riders would start to attack each other. So I think that's, that's perfectly as it should be on their behalf, at least.
2: Brian, when Ben Healy won his first stage, we lauded and we celebrated. We were very impressed by the way that he, he grasped the nettle so early and that was a risk that day. And We felt that he could have probably gone to the finish in a, in a small group and won or gone close to the finish in a small group and dropped them on the final climb. Um, Today, how did you assess the way he played his cards?
1: I actually thought about it because they did the La Bocola, the climb up to the the old town here in Bergamo twice. So he obviously had seen it once before. And I think he was a little bit too optimistic about his possibilities to drop, uh, especially McNulty, with just one acceleration. And, And then I think when he saw he couldn't do that, he worked a lot to establish the breakaway, he worked a lot to reduce the group. I just think he, f- he ran out of difficult parts at the end to really make a difference. Well,
2: let's not take anything away from Brandon McNulty, who's a rider who I think his Palmares doesn't really do justice to his value as a rider and where we think he's going in his career. I mean, he's still only 25 years old. He's got a contract with UAE Team Emirates until 2024 with Almeida there, Pogacar there, you still feel that in, in the future his latitude to lead the team is going to be pretty limited. He doesn't have the ability. I mean, I think he does have the ability to be a leader somewhere else. He's a good time trialist, he's a good climber, um, and he hasn't really had an opportunity. He hasn't gone into a Grand Tour with complete freedom to explore his own potential as a GC rider. We don't. We really, never will if he stays you don't where he is.
1: Think, with with UAE. No. Depending on where Adam Yates goes, depending I'm not convinced that Bogota's gonna ride three grand tours a season. But they're also gonna focus on having the strongest riders next to him. They have a user as well. It's probably one of the biggest potentials in, in grand tours as well. And has proved it already in a very at a very young age at the Welter last year. So I think Brandon Manosi is probably at the part of his career now where he he's, he would be expected to win Perenissi. He would be expected to win. I was going to say. I was going to say
2: because he has been given some opportunities, but in smaller races. And I just wonder whether races like the Volta a la Comunitat Valenciana, um, he I think he he was UAE's leader there, and he came in eighth in general classification. Which okay, if you go back and look at sort of all his results on Pro Cycling Stats, it looks like a really solid performance. But if his end game was to carve out more space for himself. Did he need to win a race like that, or finish in the top three of a race like that?
1: You know, when he was a young rider, he was the arch rival of Michel Bierer for the for the junior and under 23 time trial world championships, and both of them were they were they sort of like tr- traded won, won one year and etc. The next year, the other one took it, but both of them weren't great riders to uh, ride in the peloton initially because they also turned pros relatively young. And both of them have really like become fantastic uh, to move around in the peloton. So it, it's some some riders have a slow development. I've, I think they. His, I would be very surprised if McNulty's numbers are not sky high. I've, I think he has huge physical potential, but potential he's there already. But race race wise, he still needs that breakthrough. And he got it, At least he got it today. Yeah, I think he will only go go upwards from here.
2: It's quite surprising that when you look at his record in Grand Tours, I think his best finish overall in a Grand Tour at this point is 19th overall in the Tour de France last year which again doesn't or oh 15th sorry in the Giro d'Italia in 2020 but that So what was it last year in the Tour? 19th in the Tour last year. Obviously working for Progeratza, yeah, obviously. Yeah, they for lost so
1: many riders to COVID in the Tour last year. We we already <laughs> almost forgot. So his the the amount of work that he had to do last year the Tour was tremendous and that he was able to finish that high up uh,
3: Go to
0: your happy place For a happy price Go to your happy price price
5: Priceline La A postcard from Italy With Larry Warbass
2: Not not all superheroes wear capes But our superhero wears a brown one Larry,
0: good morning Good morning, yeah I don't know what happened today The, The meteorologist messed up again talk to us about last night yesterday you were buoyant
2: in buoyant mood haven't got in the break but then you're a little bit disappointed you didn't have the legs to follow just um take us inside your mind last night and what were you thinking about the stage
0: yeah i mean i was glad to get in there <clears throat> i was a little bit disappointed to miss out on a chance for a result and i like re the end of the stage and i uh, definitely kind of fucked up in my positioning and stuff coming into the end and if you don't have incredible legs then uh, yeah, you can't really make errors like that so yeah, I was a little bit disappointed. I think with the guys I was with, I don't think I would have had a chance to go for the win. But, I mean, maybe a top five or something would have been nice. Uh, so, missed out on that. But, yeah, there's still more chances, and I'm hoping uh, on a day that might suit me a little bit better, um, I can get in there. So
2: is the mood, is your mood very much about, well, it didn't. yesterday doesn't suggest this is the case, but about survival, or are you? Are you still very much thinking about results and performing. It's not just about sort of rolling in zombie fashion to Rome now. I mean, because often that's the case at this point in a grand tour. I mean, people on the internet and whatever, they might think, oh, so-and-so, you know, he could get a result in that stage. But we see you guys in the morning and we know that for some of you, it's just rolling, like, as I say, in zombie fashion.
0: When it goes hard, I feel pretty strong. I, I think I'm probably, you know, among the 50 strongest guys, which means that, like, you're not doing so badly. Maybe I don't have the same legs as the leaders, but uh, but yeah, I'm doing just fine. So, but I think this Giro, honestly, uh, a lot of it is just about survival, so you can get that chance. Because like, as we can see, it's pouring rain again, unexpectedly this time. It's funny. I was telling uh, one of my teammates yesterday, who was you know riding me. He's not here, and he asked me you know how it's going and how miserable it looks. And I said, yeah, you know, it's like. Every other year you have one day that's just so terrible and miserable on the bike that you think like wow I don't know how we did that, you know, like I I don't know if I could do that again. That's literally how it is every single day here, you know. I mean yesterday I was in the break and I was so absolutely frozen and shivering and miserable the bottom of the descent that I I literally a moment I was like wow At least uh, if I have to stop and change all my clothes, like I have six minutes before the bunch catches me, you know, like, uh, so, you know, it's like, it's hard to think about going for a stage win when you're just thinking about surviving at the same time. So anyone who finishes this Giro can do probably anything in life uh, because it's a mental battle here every day. I mean, you and I have already agreed that David Goggins would have loved this
2: Giro, wouldn't he? I mean, have you had your, have you washed down your suck it up pill with a can of hard this morning?
0: (laughs) I mean, I'll be honest, once the rain started again, I was like, wow, I think my body's going to stop deciphering between wet and dry now because, like, uh, yeah, it's broken.
2: (laughs) Well, Brian, good to hear that our good friend, the Motown Maestro, Larry Warbass, is still feeling pretty bullish about the rest of this race. And, well, Larry will enjoy, I think, the terrain we've got coming uh, over the last week. We heard Garrett Thomas earlier refer to the four summit finishes we've got. Still to come, if you in six days. Yeah, if you include the Monte Lussari, and again talking about the route and why the race has been sort of almost neutralised on general classification. Again, the Giro in its messaging in its narrative has made a virtue of backloading. The race, it's, it's done that for many years now. I think it really, that trend really accelerated with Angelo Zomagnan and Absolutely. when he was the race director for a couple of years.
1: He just couldn't, it was almost like he had to like do it harder every year. Yeah. It's to the point where it became ridiculous because it actually meant that this, the race was so hard in the last week that it, it actually took the edge of the racing. They didn't race more because the parkour was hard They, they don't get extra strength because there's more climbs they have to do and something that we often forget even us who follow the sport closely doesn't mean that they sort of find extra abilities because the parkour is harder it's on the contrary
2: well brian and it all kicks off the last week all kicks off with that stays to monte bondone in trentino on tuesday and it's not tomorrow's stage, but we're going to treat it as tomorrow's stage because it's a rest day for us tomorrow. No press conference for us tomorrow because, well, we've had a busy week, we've got a busy day tomorrow, we're going to real press conferences, not these sort of fake, tippy-tappy, self-purported press conferences that we do. Um, We're going to real press conferences, so no press conferences for us tomorrow. Um, So tomorrow, as far as we're concerned, is Tuesday and it is the Monte Bondone stage.
0: La
5: tappa di domani e la cena di ieri tomorrow's stage, yesterday's
6: dinner.
2: Brian, before we get to Monte Bondone, yesterday's dinner. Yesterday's dinner? I forgot, can you help me out? Yesterday's dinner, we were eating at Trattoria, we even heard, we even heard the waiter, our host last night, um, talk us through the menu. We're in an Emiliana uh, Trattoria, so the region around Bologna. Little so, Bologna
1: embassy in the Brianza. Yes,
2: it was. And we had some torta frita, which has got all sorts of different names. It says uh, you can explain fr- it probably it's better. It's basically deep fried dough. Deep fried squares of dough. Yeah. Um, it's actually a lot lighter than it sounds, isn't it? And nice and salty. Nice and salty. Um, it's got all sorts of different names depending on which city in Emilia Romagna you're in. can be called Chisolino Crescentina. Torta frita, pasta frita. Uh, in frito, Pisa where I lived. Pasta frita, um, so that was very good. I had tortelli filled pasta with erbe,te so um, kind of spinach and stuff like that. Also, a delicacy, uh,
1: what well, typical of uh, Emilia,
2: Brian? What did you have? Can I remember? I, can't I remember had what you a had.
1: Um, sort of a plate with some ham, like from the, the spalla San Salvatore, it was yep. called. And I think actually that was where the, the pasta frita came in, so you, you, you were just allowed to have some of it. There was, there was a whole tout, like a whole pile of it. And then I had, being at um, a restaurant from Bolognese origin, I obviously had the tagliatelle al ragu. Delightful red wine and I had a, a, a licorice um, amaro, so it was like a, a liqueur of sorts. Uh, I think at that time, at that point, you'd already gone to bed.
2: wasn't as good as our uh, Amaro al Peperoncino. We had no, an Amaro, with a chili Amaro uh, at lunchtime, which was fantastic. Brian, let's talk about the Tuesday stage, shall we? Uh, Monte Bondone, a very famous st- stage, or very famous summit finish for the Giro d'Italia. Scene of uh, famous, very famous exploit by Charlie Gould in
1: the 1950s. It's actually quite a, a good stage when you look at the layout. You know, We were criticising the Passo del Sempione yesterday because it was just that one climb and then a long descent into Italy. Here it starts out with almost 60 kilometers of flat and then there's one, two, three, four, five climbs in the last 130 kilometers
2: Passo San uh, Passo di Santa Barbara is not a climb so that's the first climb on the route very difficult it comes after how many kilometers 76 kilometers Brian um famous infamous in the Giro d'Italia because it was where can you remember Vladimir Belli got kicked out of the Giro in oh, 2001 yeah, because, he had a, a, because he punched uh, the he punched Simoli the hooligans
1: yeah i think it wasn't perfectly f- a don't punch anyone in the bike it was race. more don't a handoff anyone anyone in anywhere, rugby yeah. terminology but also that they were they were heckling him yeah. They really were. I don't, I don't think that was a pleasant situation. Yeah, we
2: have got tomorrow a kilometer zero coming out about tifosi, the Italian fans, tifoseria, the, the whole concept of Italian fandom at bike races. And um, well, the belly incident might even get a, get a
1: mention in that. And after the Santa Barbara there's a short descent and then a short climb, a little bit higher in altitude, but obviously with the short descent, uh it's not a harder climb in that sense It's passo passo Bordola. And then a long descent into Obreto, a place we basically pass every year in the Giro. Matasona is the next climb, not that hard again. After that is the Serrara, which is... Yeah, Folgeria is probably the name that rings the bell to you, is a place we often go in the Giro. And then there's a long descent, and then it finishes with the Monte Bondone. Very long climb. How Very long, Brian? It's, it's so, 22 kilometers. Yeah, 20, to 20 kilometers with an average grading of, six point, grading of 6.8. Hardest part is 15%. And it's, uh, again, it's a plus 200 uh, kilometers stage, 203. More, last time
2: I was on Monte Bonone, Brian, um, it was the afternoon when Elfimiano Fuentes was arrested in 2006. Ivan Basso was leading the Giro. You were CSC's press officer, Ivan Basso's press officer. Memories of that day? Does it send a shiver down your
1: spine? No, I, I do remember most of it. I actually did a... A kilometer zero with with Lionel about those years and and what happened at that Giro and how it started sort of they felt like quite surreal and then it became very real and for me it was more the aftermath than the actual F- Giro as such because it all happened within the very last few days of the race quite an intense it, it started with a phone call at dinner where uh, if I uh, do we have time but yeah of a course phone, it started with a phone call.
2: From a Spanish uh, radio from, station, yeah, and
1: if, uh, Cadena SER, which was one of the news outlets that broke the the Puerto uh, Puerto's scandal, basically. And then I was direct, live and direct in the in the studio, and I didn't speak Spanish at the time, so I was a little bit frazzled, and I thought they they, they wanted to talk about the stage or whatever. So I uh, I passed the phone to my phone to Andrea Perón, who at the time lived in the south of Spain in Mabea as to say hey can you please talk to these spanish journalists (laughs) because i don't really know what it is they're asking and i could just see his face turn pale and and uh, yeah it, it was and then everything just exploded after that you know but it was like a a smaller it started with a little bit of like here and there and then it just all exploded between the giro and the tour the tour that that year started in strasbourg and then yeah i think everyone who's followed cycling in that in that era will, will remember what that was like yeah and of
2: course yesterday we had the stage to Casano maniago which was a bit of a tribute and homage to ivan basso who is now team manager at aolo cometa and it it feels a little bit icky doesn't it because well it feels more than a little bit icky because Ivan never really well he confessed to having attempted to dope and he still was suspended for that because um that was equivalent to actually having doped under the wider code but he came it back and won it, a Giro. yeah in it seemed it, it seemed it, to say the least a little bit implausible yeah um yeah it, and, and and to to have the sort so nominally they didn't make a big thing of it of it the race going to his hometown yesterday but he was certainly involved in the negotiations to have the race come there. It's a tiny little sort of satellite suburb. I
1: can't imagine that it would have happened without his intervention, but yesterday was anticlimactic in a lot of ways. It was climatic in a lot of ways too because it was a tough stage for the riders, but it was just, yeah, it made me look forward to today in a lot of ways just to put it that way.
2: Brian, tomorrow we've got some press conferences, not our press conference. We've got a press conference from Mark Cavendish Lots of speculation, including from Chiro today, about what might be said in that press conference. Chiro has reported that Mike Cavendish is going to announce his retirement tomorrow. Difficult for me to comment on this because I'm sort of sworn to secrecy. But, but <laughs> yeah,
1: <your laughs> vo- Daniel, we're going to have to work with your volume here. What's uh, yeah. what's going on?
2: Difficult when you told something in confidence. Okay, well, um, I'm happy
1: to pull the trigger on that one. Yeah, then. go on, then you pull the trigger. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've, it's it. I spend more time in the Salasampa than you do here for yeah, better or for worse. you also spend a lot of time in the car with me, so I you do. hear some of the yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, yeah. Go on. yeah so everyone—it's basi- its not a secret at this point. Uh, Mark Cavendish will announce his retirement oh, really? from pro cycling no, wow. tomorrow for the, for the Chiro end of the year. Yeah, making
2: yeah. that call tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hope you hope you're not wrong hope
1: it's not something else if you hope we're wrong you're wrong it's because we all would like to see cavendish there we continue go. but also think with that I mean, we'll talk about that tomorrow but he's he's given the sport a lot and the sport has given certainly given him a lot so yeah at some point that announcement will 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 have to will have at to appear, some point, at some
2: point at some point Mike cavendish will retire I should also say it's his birthday today so happy birthday Mike cavendish turned 38 today um she a birthday with sean kelly i believe Brian, I think that's about it from Bergamo. I'm quite sad to leave Bergamo. I'm sad we're not going up to Damimo to have some lovely polenta and some kind of stew. But we're heading to Montechiari, which is an important place in Italian cycling because it's home of their only covered velodrome. Um, we won't, we will not be setting foot in there. We will not be darkening the door of the velodrome tomorrow. Certainly not.
1: We disagree um, about a lot of things, but when it comes to track cycling, to that, yeah, there's, uh, yeah, we're singing from the same hymn sheet. Quiet, Brian. Moment in the
2: in we're the car. Bid the listeners, buonasera. At this point, and um, well, we'll be back with Kilometer Zero tomorrow about the Tifosi Italian fans, and then we'll be back with our usual post stage episode from Monte Bondone on Tuesday.
1: Buonasera.
3: The cycling podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed, and Lionel Byrne.